true believers and strap in as we journey with Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Excelsior! Not to mention the evil genius and brilliant leadership of myself. Open the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! Thank you for joining us once again for another episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. I'm your host, Matt Spectro. This is the fun podcast where we talk superhero animation every week, whether it be a cartoon from the old time, whether it's a direct-to-DVD, whatever it is, as long as it's animation and based on superheroes, we're going to talk about it. Now, I know what you're thinking. Welcome to episode three. Episode three, we haven't had any Batman yet. What is going on? I haven't gotten my Batman fix. Well, don't worry, everyone. This week, we are going to talk to Dark Knight himself, the Batman, and my special guest host to talk with me is the host of Let the Chaos Begin podcast and For the Pops podcast and the show's residential Batman expert. Please welcome Jamie, Jamie Mikowski. Well, hello, Matt. Thank you for having me on today. This is, this is very fun. I get to talk my favorite topic. I get to talk Batman today. I figured you'd be excited. Now, how many um, people in our circle do you think are going to get offended that I refer to you as... The show's Batman expert. I don't think any of them will get offended by that. No, de- definitely. I don't think anybody will get offended by that. I can't think of anybody who's really more of a of a Batman fan in our circle of friends than I am. Well, I can think of a few people that are pretty big Batman fans. I don't know if they would say bigger than you. Well, I, I think what I would probably do is if they really want to challenge that, I would just probably take a picture. I'm sitting in my office right now. I could just take a picture of my uh, of my shelving. And I counted this morning. Uh, there are 24 different Batman or Batman-related statues. And an additional dozen Batman action figures, not including uh, the Batpod model I have over there as well, and a a Batarang from Batman and Robin the movie. So I think I win. Wait a minute. You have a Batarang from the Batman and Robin movie? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> if only it could have been one of the good movies. I, I, th- you know, that, that that's my biggest frustration with, like, I have the one cool Batman souvenir I happen to have is from the, the worst movie ever. You know, it's funny, um, this is a little off topic, but recently I was asking people about bad superhero movies, and Batman Forever seemed to get a lot more uh, venom than Batman for Robin. A lot of people hit me with, Batman and Robin is dumb fun. See, I, I think that whole franchise just turned so horribly at that point that I think you're arguing who's the smartest idiot in that scenario of which one of those two movies is better or worse. They're, they're both pretty bad. I recently rewatched the all four of those films. And I was actually appalled how annoying, especially Jim Carrey was in Batman Forever. He's truly awful in that movie. I think the the only looking back when I watched, I did the same thing. Um, I think all of us over the past year have had a lot of time to catch up on things we hadn't seen in a while. And I did the same thing. I caught all four of those again. I was amazed how well the first two hold up, Batman and Batman Returns, which we'll talk about as we get into our topic today about how they kind of place those out of time so they kind of fit and they hold up over time. But the drop-off to those second two movies, you know, the Val Kilmer movie, I would argue Val Kilmer was a decent Batman. Everybody else in that movie was truly awful in their roles. Truly awful. 
Yeah, I would agree. I've heard the argument a lot that uh, it came a lot from the that the powers up that they wanted this movie to market a lot more to children than the previous one is why we got Batman Forever. Yeah, I, I had read the same thing that it, it was it really came down to things like action figure sales and things like McDonald's cross promoting. You know, who can you put on a soda cup? So as always here on the show, we like to give uh, credit where credit is due. Batman was created by Bob Kane and uh, Bill Finger. Just recently, in the last couple of years, Bill Finger finally got the credit he deserved. I let you decide on what we're going to watch, and there's a multitude of Batman animation out there, but you decided to go for an episode from Batman the Animated Series. When you first reached out to me and you explained to me what the multiverse show was going to be about, about comic book-related animation, and you said to me, hey, you're going to do the first Batman one, what do you want to watch? That was like the most tortured question you could have asked me. Because I went through everything, you know, I actually subscribed to, I think it's called, uh, it used to be called DC Unlimited, uh, then DC Infinite. Now it's all swung over to HBO Max. I have all those DC animated movies and shows on demand at my fingertips. I'm like, okay, well, which ones? They had uh, Mask of the Phantasm is one that a lot of people say that's the best Batman movie ever, live action or animated. I'm like, okay, well, that, that one could be a good choice. Then you have something like the newer ones, Under the Red Hood, Batman and Harley Quinn, The Killing Joke, Hush adaptations. Those all sounded really cool. But I'm like, I never had a real connection to those. What I dialed back in on was, like you said, uh, Batman the Animated Series, because I vividly remember when the series started, where I was when it started. I remember watching it. It was like appointment TV in college for me to watch Batman the Animated Series. And then when I kind of said, okay, which episode do I want to watch? There were two that stuck out in my mind, and it's, it, we'll, we'll talk about it. I remembered which one I wanted, and I couldn't remember which one it was. Because I think I, I texted you when we were messaging, and I said, I'm trying to pick between these two episodes, but i got to watch them or take a look at them to say which one is the one I'm remembering. And that's how we landed on the one we picked, which is from uh, season one. I think it's season one, episode 35 from Batman the Animated Series called Almost Got Him. All right, we're going back to 1992 here. Now, for some of our younger listeners, at this point, the superhero cartoon it was pretty much a dead genre. Super Friend had been off the air for, I think, about seven years at that point. Spider-Man's last cartoon, I think, was about eight or nine years to that point. Yeah. And the Superman cartoon only lasted one season in 1988. So the superhero cartoon, the genre was pretty much dead at that point when Batman the Animated Series came around. And I, I would attest that the Tim Burton film is probably the only reason this cartoon ever happened. Well, what you have happening here, and again, I, I remember this so vividly, you had three things kind of converging all at once. You had Batman come out in 89, and then Batman Returns, I believe, in 91. So you had this Batman resurgence. He was by far the most popular character in comics and comic movies at this time. Now, tie that into... Warner Brothers Animation at the time, starting in about 1990, they were really resurging right now at that point in those early 90s because of a few shows. There were something called Tiny Toon Adventures, where they rebooted the Looney Tunes universe with younger characters, and that was started by Steven Spielberg. The other one was Animaniacs, which was huge back then. And all of a sudden, Warner Brothers Animation was the animation outlet. That was popular with everybody. When they announced the Batman animated series, they're coming off the popularity of the Batman movies, tied in with Warner Brother Animation, and you started to touch on this, Matt. This really launched a decade plus of superhero animation. 
because you had this show. It spun into the Batman Adventures. There was a Superman animated series, all of which spun into Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, all the way to Young Justice in the late 90s, all born out of this whole Batman the Animated Series in 1992. Yeah, as well as Marvel did the X-Men cartoon and also later on in the 90s led to a, uh, or might have been early 2000s, the Iron Man Fantastic Four. So, I mean, this pretty much, yeah, not only did it make Batman a household name again, but it also like re reinvigorated the cartoon animation genre. What it did was, it, it's really interesting what, what the Batman Animated Series did. What I really like about it is... It took the best parts of all the Batman properties. You know, the theme is straight up. The theme music and all the music is straight up from the Batman movies. It's the Tim Burton theme is what plays. They kept that retro feel to it. You know, the cars look more 1950s than they do 1990s. So they pulled that that gothic feel from the Burton movies. But the Batman costume in this show, it's old school blue, gray with the yellow oval around the bat. So they kind of pulled that from the comic books. And then really, the other thing they did was it was super serious storylines. I mean, as you go through as these episodes, as you do this show, as more people talk about them, like there was some heavy stuff in these episodes as the series rolled on. But at the same time, it even borrows a little bit from the 1960s Batman show where they're not afraid to have a little fun with stuff and be a little jokey and be a little campy. And, and we'll talk about that when, when eventually we, we talk about the episode. If what I remember is what I remember, there is some of that, that humor and fun that plays into this. So really, I think why the series appealed to so many people is, okay, it's a cartoon for the little kids. It fed into those late 80s, early 90s Batman movies with, with the Burton stuff and the gothic feel. He still looked like the comic book Batman that everybody knew, blue, gray, yellow oval. And there was a combination of humor and seriousness to, to kind of pull everybody in. So no matter what kind of a Batman fan you are, you're still going to like the series. Well, I'd read doing some research for this episode that they were getting a lot of uh, pushback from the hires up for taking it in a more serious direction. It wasn't until they finished the first episode, or at least a rough cut, that they saw it and they, they, they stopped getting pushback. Like now they saw what they had and that they were going to go forward and this was going to work. Well, again, the, the guy behind this whole thing was a guy by the name of Paul Dini, D-I-N-I. And he's really regarded as the guy that kind of helped relaunch Batman. Obviously, Tim Burton with the original movies was number one. But really, Paul Dini's number two. When you look at all the stuff that came out of the animated series, you know, all, my, all the Batman fans that listen, they're going to roll their eyes because this is so common knowledge. But if you're not so much of a Batman fan... You may not know Harley Quinn, arguably, you know, one of DC's hottest properties now. She didn't come out of the comics. She was invented for the animated series and became so popular. They brought her into the comics and now she gets her own, you know, standalone DC movies. Uh, the other character, I think Renee Montoya, uh, the detective, she's another one that was created for this show. And I'm pretty sure Harvey Bullock, who's popular in the comics now, came out of this show or it was... It was kind of a one-two punch. They were brought at the same time. But really the biggest one coming out of the show it was is Harley Quinn. That again, one of DC's most treasured properties now that they've made multi-gajillion dollar movies about came out of a silly cartoon from the early 90s. All right. So the, the, um, we'll get a little bit into the, uh, some of the boring aspects of uh, the man behind the curtain, so to speak. Paul Dini and Eric Radowski were the creators of the actual show. And then the show was developed by Paul Dini, Bruce Tim, and uh, Mitch Bryan. 
Uh, the particular episode we're going to watch, which uh, was, like you said, almost got him, was originally aired November 10th, 1992. Paul Dini, like you said, he wrote the episode. Paul Dini had written a lot of cartoons at that point, including other superhero shows. He had written an episode of Hulk, Shazam, He-Man. He also went on to write episodes for Superman, Batman Beyond, the Justice League cartoon. He eventually went to work for uh, Marvel, writing Ultimate Spider-Man, Hulk, Agents of Smash, Avengers Assemble. He even worked on the television show Lost. Don't hold that against him. (laughs) The episode was directed by Eric Ranowski, who is now actually the... um, I believe he's gone on to work for Marvel now. I believe he's the senior editor of Marvel Animation. He has been now since 2010. If you know anything about animation, those are two guys that are, especially like you had said, Paul Dini, very uh, significant in the genre of superhero animation. And Matt, the, the only thing I want to throw in here, which is which is kind of a cool little tidbit, and I, I found this interesting, literally nobody else is going to care. Um, <laughs> I, I found out in doing research for, the, for this episode in the show that this episode's actually based on a four-issue comic run. It's Batman issues 291 through 294. It was Where Were You the Night Batman Was Killed. And the funny part was, when I read that, I vividly remember this comic book from when I was a kid. It was actually, we didn't touch on this in my intro, but at one point, I owned over 25,000 physical comic books. I collected comic books from about third grade till much too late in life than I should have kept collecting them. I vividly remember this being one of the first comics I owned. And when I pulled up the image, like I remember the cover, you know, as people are listening, look at Batman number 291. There's a great image of Riddler, Poison Ivy, Scarecrow, Lex Luthor, Catwoman, and Joker standing over Batman's grave. And they're all saying at the same time, and to think I killed him. I remember this vividly. So it was so cool for me when we picked this episode and I started to research. I'm like, I never even realized that this episode was based on one of my favorite comics and the first comic, one of the first comics I ever collected. So there's a little fun tidbit from Jamie today. I remember that as well. It, it, to this day, it always bothered me with Batman's vast rose gallery, why Lex Luthor was a part of that storyline. Yeah, that bothered me too as a kid. I, I don't know if it was to get the Superman cameo, but it was very weird that Lex Luthor was one of the four accused or four taking credit for killing Batman in that episode. In a minute, we're going to watch the episode. We're just going to go over some of the voice acting and some of the characters that are appear. Uh, obviously, Batman was voiced by the immortal Kevin Conroy, who voiced the character for quite some time because he voiced him beyond just this. He did Batman Beyond. He did him on the Justice League. And I believe he did some of the early direct-to-DVD Batman animation as well. Uh, he's also in the video games. And last year on the CW shows, he actually appeared on camera as an aging Batman on one of the uh, alternate Earths. Oh, the guy deserves credit. Now, some of the villains that appear on this episode, the Joker is on this episode. He was created by Bob Kane, Bill Finger, Jerry Robinson. He's voiced by Luke Skywalker himself, Mark Hamill. Harley Quinn is on this episode, created by Paul Denny and Bruce Tim, which you had mentioned earlier. And hold on, I got to look up here. I have her. Uh... Arlene Sorkin. There you go. <laughs> Arlene Sorkin has that awesome, she literally has the voice that Margot Robbie mimics now. That high-pitched, squeaky Harley Quinn voice that everybody when you read her words, that's the voice you picture in your head. That's Arlene Sorkin. We also have uh, Two-Face, voice uh, created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, two names you're going to hear a lot on this part of the show. Voiced by Richard Mall, who is most known for playing Bull on Night Court. All right. <laughs> I thought that I, would be- I, I don't, I'm sorry. I didn't have a big follow-up. Sorry, pal. I didn't have a big follow-up on Richard Mall. you know? I thought that'd be a more interesting tidbit. <laughs> Apparently, it's just interesting <laughs> to me. But. Uh, also, uh, Poison Ivy. 
is on this episode, voiced by um, Diane uh, Pershing, who is a voice actress. Poison Ivy created by uh, Robert Kniger and uh, Sheldon Moldoff. The Penguin, also created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Voiced by Paul Williams, of all people, who uh, is a songwriter, actor. Um, I believe he wrote The Rainbow Connection from the original Muppet movie. They, if I'm not I, mistaken. I was hoping you were going to hit on that. Yeah, Paul Williams wrote all the music for the original Muppet movie. Killer Croc, who was created by Gary Conway. Don Newton and uh, Gene Colan, voiced by uh, Aaron Kincaid. Now, I know you'll find this interesting. Aaron Kincaid also did the voice of the Iron Sheik on Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Interesting. See, I thought Aaron Kincaid was a former Chaotic Wrestling Tag Team champion, but then I realized I was just confusing two people. <laughs> and finally, Catwoman, who was on the episode, also created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, voiced by the immortal actress Adrian Barbeau, who... Uh, well, if you're an 80s fan, she was in uh, Escape from New York. She was in The Fog. She uh, was actually in the original Swamp Thing movie, mm-hmm. as well as many, many other credits. All right. So, without further ado, if you want to watch along with us, right now, Jamie and I are going to watch from Batman the Animated Series, November 10th, 1992, the episode Almost Got Him. Stay with us. Persuade you to take a sandwich with you, sir. I'll get drive through. Introducing McDonald's Superhero Burger. Tomatoes, crisp lettuce, the great taste of two cheeses melted over three beef patties on a superhero bun. It's McDonald's taste of the month everyone's making a break for. Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? What hidden terror keeps the Batman awake at night. We should start with your childhood, yes? Bruce. Is there some past tragedy? tragedy? What hidden terror keeps the Batman awake at night? I was only a child. Don't blame yourself. What hidden terror? Bruce. A need filled you. He ain't human. All consumed. All controlled. Who are you? I'm your worst nightmare. Why couldn't you save us? Why couldn't you save us? Why couldn't you save us, son? I am vengeance. I am the night. I am Batman. Batman. Tonight at 7 on Cartoon Network. It's payback time. Meanwhile, behind the facade of this innocent-looking podcast... Hope you watched with us as we just watched Batman the Animated Series episode Almost Got Him. And uh, to bring back some memories, or had you seen it recently, Jamie? I did watch it in preparation to, like I said, I had to remind myself which one it was. So I did see it. I, I remember, but I remembered every minute of it as I watched. I had, hadn't seen it for a while. It was a pleasant surprise to see it again. So we're going to start. Obviously, it starts off with the opening credits with the uh, very familiar uh, 
Batman theme song, which uh, I believe was composed by Danny Elfman from sounding almost identical from the Tim Burton films. And uh, you had commented on, on it earlier, and I, I'm actually, it's not like it was a surprise, but it was nice to see they did actually stick to the classic costume. They did not do the black uh, rebooted costume from those films. Like I said, whenever I watch this old series, and especially this episode, the only thing I, I say to anybody is, like, you just watch it and you hadn't seen it in a while. It's like, how, how good was this show? It's so awesome. It did everything perfectly from the drop in terms of the music and the shadows and, and, and the opening credits of every episode. You've got the weird little break-in and the two guys and all of a sudden, boom, there's Batman, there's the shadow, and then it cuts to the end and the lightning strikes. It's, it's awesome. Everything about the show is just awesome. And it was a very different animation style at the time. Uh, for one, it didn't have the classic overly muscled characters like a lot of animation did up to that point. And I believe this was also the first cartoon where they had changed it, where they had done light colors on black paper. Usually cartoons were done the other way around, but they did it this way, I believe, to create the noir type effect that the cartoon right. does have. What, what I'll do is I'll, I'll actually send you a picture when we're done. I actually own, again, we talked about the battering. I actually own four of the original animated cells from this show, too. And they're so cool. They're just so cool to look at as a piece of art. Learning about what you have, I, I'm, I'm going to challenge anybody in our circle to say they're a bigger Batman fan. Yeah, I'm, it's really kind of lame. It, it really is a, a sickness at this point. <laughs> so we open up with the, the rogues gallery playing a, a poker game of Joker, Two-Face, and Penguin. Joker says he wants a nice, clean game. And Killer Croc is there, too. Yes, Killer Croc. Sorry, I apologize. Killer Croc of the four. The, the four we're going to start with are Joker, Penguin, Croc, and Two-Face. And again, right, like I said, right from the start, what I love about this episode is how cool is it to think that there's some cool place where the villains, like one thing about comic books is, and we always talk about the willing suspension of disbelief when it comes to this stuff. Whenever there's a big crisis in a comic book or a comic book show or a comic book movie. So let's say Gotham City gets struck by an earthquake and it's cut off from the rest of the world, right? And one of the big storylines. One of the big things we always have to suspend is, okay, well, why doesn't Batman pick up his little Justice League communicator and call in the Justice League? What happens to all the other characters in the universe when they're not on the page? So what I like about this episode already is it's telling the story of, okay, what are these criminals doing when they're not in jail and they're not trying to kill Batman? It's just so cool that they're, they're basically hanging out at Knights of Columbus Hall or they're hanging out at a PAV playing cards and gossiping about people they know and bragging about what they do in real life. I think that's so much fun. As it's just a a start for an episode to take supervillains out of the you know giant killing machines and putting them playing poker at a night to Columbus Hall. In a nice little touch, uh, Two Face is drinking coffee and he puts half and half in his coffee. Huh? Huh? Oh, there there are so many little touches in there. He he uses half and half. He has a pair of twos when his cards get dealt. If you notice. They subtly tell you the Joker is cheating through the whole game. He always has aces in his hands. And I think if you watch closely, there are times when aces are shown in other people's hands, and yet they're still over in the Joker's hands too. <laughs> There's a later bit I'm going to get to referencing him cheating as well. A, a nice touch I thought was amusing where they're talking about Batman and Penguin says some line about how he obviously had some sort of childhood trauma. Yes. I just thought was a... A funny off-the-cuff comment of him being 100% right, but not really knowing it. As we go through this whole episode, one of the, my favorite things about this episode is, and I talked to a mutual friend of ours, uh, Brian Fury, sometimes my favorite parts of some of the new Marvel movies are what I call the throwaway lines. 
like one of my favorite lines in the original Avengers movie is uh, remember the big snake thing comes out of the the alien ship. Yeah. Tony Stark says, I'm bringing the party to you. He comes around the bend and they cut to Black Widow and she goes, well, this doesn't seem like very much of a party. I love throwaway lines. And this episode, as we get through it, there are so many amazing throwaway lines and one-off lines in this episode. I love them. And the Penguin one was the first one. So continue. I'm sorry. I get so excited. <laughs> Poison Ivy then arrives and she orders a herbal tea. It makes me wonder, do any of these supervillains drink alcohol? I'm sure they do. Just probably, you know, there has to be very, you know, stylized alcohol. And I don't have any great uh, alcohol puns off the top of my head. I wish I'd been more prepared for that. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. I threw you a curveball there. But e- even when she arrives, she's not invited to the table. The male villains are kind of sexist toward her. She kicks out Croc's chair, takes his spot. And then, I don't know if you caught this, as she sits down, you see the shadow of Croc in the background throwing some henchmen around to get a chair back to come back to the game. Oh, you know what? It's just little dumb stuff they do for consistency through the whole episode. I saw there was something going on in the background, and I didn't even put two and two together. That was, uh, <laughs> that was Croc, yeah. and glad you said that. It, it's Croc throwing guys around to get a chair to go back to the poker game. Now, part I thought was odd was uh, Poison Ivy said that she was doing the same of all of them, is uh, running from the law. And I'm thinking to myself, they're all running from the law, yet they show up in this club fully in their supervillain costumes. <laughs> that's what I think is so amazing. Because I figure, if you're the Joker, what else are you going to do during your downtime? Like I said, you're going to go to the, the villain's PAV and play poker. <laughs> I think it's tremendous. I think it's absolutely tremendous that there's an underground club where these people hang out. So they all get into um, a discussion on the, the closest they've come to killing Batman. Joker says he, his story is the best, but he wants to hear uh, everybody's. And he says a great line about how he would say ladies first, but there's no ladies at the table. <laughs> so Poison Ivy, you go ahead. And, and then the, the next little great line in there, I love that one. And then Two-Face hates, for some reason, we pick up very quickly that Two-Face hates Ivy. Because then he says, half of me wants to strangle you. And she says, what about the other half? And his response is, the other half wants to hit you with the truck. <laughs> what an amazing line. And then Poison Ivy responds with, yeah, we used to date. So again, it's all this little interrelational stuff in these great throwaway lines. Like, I think I'm actually going to use the line in my life now. Half of me wants to strangle you, and the other half wants to hit you with a truck. I think it's a great line. You got to make the pause before you say the other half. So uh, hopefully they ask you what the other half wants to do. Absolutely. Um, That's actually, I think, we're going to talk about it some other time. But I think it's a reference to an earlier episode when they introduced Poison Ivy, and this was before Harvey Dent had become Two-Face. Yeah, and again, I'm going to, I'm not, I haven't researched this part. I'm pretty sure these animated series, this is when you first start to get, like, continuity in a cartoon. Like, they do reference in later episodes things that happened previously. As versus, like, take the old Super Friends episodes. Those were all standalones. Everything was wrapped up in 22 minutes. These are the first time where they're actually referencing stuff that's happened before on the shows. So she um she tells her story. of It's Halloween, and she's uh, lured Batman into a... Uh pumpkin patch of her own doing where um she uh as always with poison ivy spreads a poisonous gas in batman's face and this is where we get into i talked about at the beginning how paul dean and bruce tim they allowed every version of batman to influence what they created here because really if you boil this down what you're talking about is ivy's way to kill and we're gonna get into one that really is even worse and the next two continue down this trend but 
her way of killing Batman is with exploding poisonous pumpkins. That is like straight out of 1960s Batman show. That's that kind of a death trap for Batman. And, and I don't know if I said this. One reason, especially now that I've watched it again, that I like about this episode, one thing I hate about the evolution of Batman over the past couple of decades has been Batman's kind of just a jerk now. And I get it. He's darker. But I think when you kind of go into that old Frank Miller series, the uh, the Dark Knight, God, I can't remember, Dark Knight Returns, jeez. Like somehow Batman went from being intense to just a real jerk. And what I liked about this show, especially this episode, is there's allowed to be some levity in all of this. Not everything has to be so dark and heavy. You're still allowed to have exploding poisonous pumpkins because it's fun. At the end of the day, he's still a guy dressed up like a big rodent fighting clowns. So Batman saves himself by uh, he uses his automatic co-pilot on the Batmobile to save him from the exploding pumpkins, which at this point, Poison Ivy tries to just climb a pole and it knocks her off. And that's pretty much all she wrote. I got to say, pretty lame if this is the closest she ever came to killing Batman. Yeah. But a couple of things I noticed during this whole thing, we talked about how uh, the exploding pumpkins are pretty lame and, and haha as a trap. Did you notice that something you would never see in a cartoon now, Batman straight up punches Poison Ivy in this part. <laughs> Just straight up punches her, knock her over. And my first thought was, I'm like, again, they have this great balance of realism. Because, yeah, I suppose if some poisonous plant lady was trying to kill you, you're going to hit her to escape and not die. And then, again, I've got to bring it up. My next favorite throwaway line was as Batman's coughing and starting to succumb to the poison. Ivy has a great line where she, where she says, oh, as you've noticed, I'm immune to poison toxins and the pain and suffering of others. Again, <laughs> great little stuff they do here for, for characterization. But yeah, Batman escapes thanks to the Batmobile. And, and you know, she made a good run at this. Maybe that's why she went first, because her, her attempt wasn't the best. So then we go on to Two-Face's story, where Two-Face's, uh, this is classic to me, from the Second National Bank, he has stolen $2 million in $2 bills. Amazing. <laughs> and I have to ask, does any bank keep $2 million worth of $2 bills? Yes. It's the Second National Bank. It's at 222 Second Street. Dude, come on. Everybody knows that. Now, in an interesting bit from the comic books, we see for the first time the giant penny from the Batcave. That's how Two-Face is going to kill him. He has him strapped to the giant penny. Now, I got to ask, how, how much of the modern audience do you think even knows about the giant penny? See, I think that one most people probably know about. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I'm swinging. My nerd pendulum is swinging the other direction too much. Because I do think in like even current comics or anything, that giant penny is usually in the background. I think it's kind of like the standard Batcave background these days. He ties him to this penny, which he's going to cause to flip, like a coin flip, mm -hmm. where he says that. If it lands face down, heads, Batman will be squashed. But if it lands tails, he will live, but every bone in his body will be broken. I want you to remember that for something that we talk about in a couple of minutes. Yeah. And, and this was, again, this was taken, this whole Two-Face plan was taken right from the comics. I had the issue number. But this was like an old, like from the 60s when Batman was still, Batman Robin super campy. 
literally Batman and Robin were tied to the penny, and they were supposed to be spun onto spikes. And they used their utility belts to create, and I quote, a negative magnetic field to repel the spikes <laughs> and get them to land heads up. And when they did that, the spikes cut the ropes, Batman and Robin escape, and they catch Two-Face. But that was something else. This one was pulled straight from the comics. Batman escapes because uh, even though he doesn't have his utility belt, he stole Harvey Dent's signature coin and he cuts the rope to free himself while the coin is in midair being flipped. Yeah. How big is the roof of this building? Because that coin seems to go pretty high. It's a very tall warehouse. 222 feet, I think, is what I read. <laughs> see what I did there? I, I see what you did. This is a two-face <laughs> reference. Two. 222 feet. In midair, Batman frees himself, gets off the coin, and then the coin lands on two of Two-Face's henchmen. Correct. Now, didn't... <laughs> He just get through saying, I told you to remember, pay attention, saying that if that landed on him, it would either squash them or break every bone in their body. So Batman either completely killed these guys or just made them completely paralyzed. Batman didn't technically kill them. They were just in Batman had no control over where the coin was going to land. Isn't it their fault for like standing right there? I, I guess. Like I guess. if you're one of the henchmen, shouldn't you stand behind the coin where it's going to launch? I would think it is. Uh, this is that, where that my, would be like me coming to visit you, you know, down on the island on the Fourth of July, and you say, "Hey, we're going to light up some fireworks." Hey, Jamie, go stand ten feet in front of me. <laughs> no, no, I think I'm going to stand behind you, pal. <laughs> I blame the henchman. So uh, obviously, this does not work. And when they go back to the poker game, Joker. No, no, you, you, you cannot jump yet. I'm sorry, I have to interrupt you. No, go ahead. Because again, one of my favorite moments, blending the campiness with the new Batman universe of the time. How does Batman catch two of the last uh, henchmen? Did you notice? Um, you're going to have to remind me. Batman drives a forklift. Batman just randomly jumps into a, one of the warehouse's forklifts and catches the last two guys with a forklift. I love it. The fact that Batman's <laughs> right. If I could add one more statue to my collection on my wall right now, it would be forklift driving Batman. <laughs> I would buy that statue tomorrow. So when Joker consoles Two-Face, I don't know if you caught this, you can tell Joker's actually looking at Two-Face's hand during the poker game. <laughs> yes, yes, it's amazing. Then we get Killer Croc's great story. Wait, wait you, you missed one more part of this one, though. Sorry. Oh, man, I'm off my game today. See, it, people are starting to get what a nerd I am. One of them asked, I think it was Penguin asks him, what happened to the penny? And Two-Face replies, oh, they actually let him keep it. Right, I apologize. Yeah, it's great, <laughs> a great addition. So all of a sudden, we just found out. Oh, now we know where he got the giant penny for the Batcave. They inadvertently gave us the, uh, the the history of the giant penny. Well, inadvertent, you know, so to speak. And I'm, I'm so excited. You're about you're about to get to my favorite scene in the entire show. Go ahead. Well, Killer Croc <laughs> tells his story about he was waiting for Batman in a quarry, and then he throws a rock at him. Now, to be fair, they're portraying Killer Croc as they on the on this show. They didn't portray him as the bestial savage you see in the comics, or the angry half man, half animal that you saw in like Suicide Squad. He's really the true comic relief. He he's a big, strong dummy in this show. He he takes the bump for Poison Ivy when she kicks the chair out from him, and now we get to this part, and it's, it's Croc's time to tell a story, and his whole thing is, uh. I threw a rock at him. And then right as the villains start to mock him, his follow-up line is, it was a big rock. 
<laughs> I will laugh every time I watch that scene, every single time. Now, then we go into the Penguin's uh, story, where Penguin lures Batman into, and I quote, his Avrium of Doom. Yes, the Aviary of Doom. <laughs> Tremendous. And Matt, this is what we, this is what we talked about, um, why I like this episode so much. My daughter was actually here because of all of this hybrid learning, and she was kind of watching over my shoulders. I was just watching this. The, the killer croc part, uh, I threw a rock at him. It was a big rock. Uh, my daughter, Nikki, actually looked at me and she said, that sounds like something you would say, talking to me. And Matt, what I like about this episode so much is when you get to this part and, and uh, the I threw a rock and them cheating, and then um, when Penguin talks about the aviary of doom, all the other villains literally start giving him crap for calling it that, right? <laughs> They're all mocking him for, really? Where'd you come up with that? Ha, ha, ha. And what I like about this episode is this reminds me of a bunch of us playing poker together. Like, literally, I could hear me saying something where I give some big pompous name to something that I've done in my life, and the rest of you start giving me crap for being pompous in front of you. <laughs> Joker says it's corny, so... When he goes back to his story, he starts to say it again, and he cuts himself off and says, I lured him into my big bird house. Tremendous. He actually picks a lamer name than the one that we're giving him crap for. I love the Avrium of Doom. I think that's a great name. I, I think actually, you know, when you get a new place, I might buy you a sign for your front door that says, welcome to the Aviary of Doom. <laughs> I, would, I would enjoy that. Your wife might not like me that much, but I don't care. He um, at first attacks Batman with these, I guess they're hummingbirds that they're hummingbirds <laughs> that have poisonous beaks, um, which I'm not sure such a bird exists. So far, Batman has survived. If we look at this, he survived exploding pumpkins, a giant penny, a big rock and poisoned hummingbirds. This is amazing because he actually was being attacked by him because Penguin had sprayed him with the nectar. Of these yep. hummingbirds. We see twice in this part, a little gimmicky umbrella from Penguin. There's even a reference to Batman Returns in this scene. I don't know if you caught it. When he first sprays him with the pink mist, Penguin says, oh, I must have grabbed the wrong umbrella, which is what the Penguin says at the end of Batman Returns when he dies. A little tidbit there for you. Then he attacks him, which I didn't catch the name, but it's some kind of ostrich with razor sharp talons yeah it was like some weird i i in my notes i had it down as an emu but sure ostrich emu it was a big weird looking bird now you ever notice that in movies and television everything is described as razor sharp is there any other way to describe something that's sharp uh no no and it, it, it's got to be razor sharp if it's not razor sharp it's not deadly enough which Batman fights this bird off by grabbing one of the... Oh, I forgot to mention that um, he used the batarang to get the sprinklers, which that's how he got away from the uh, the poisonous hummingbirds. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But then he picks up one of them and he stabs the giant bird with the hummingbird. That scares it and off. Actually, Matt, I want to jump, I want to jump in here. There's actually part of this that caused this whole show to be somewhat controversial when it first came out. When the emu or ostrich actually gets Batman with his razor sharp talons... They show blood on Batman's arm. That's true. And that was actually a huge thing on this show that it showed blood. And of course, yeah, you had to have been around in 1992. Multiple parents groups started to get all kind of crazy of how horrible it was that a cartoon about Batman would show blood. 
that their kids are going to be damaged forever. So once he gets away, he also then has antidote. Now, does Batman carry hummingbird poison antidote or is this just like some sort of universal antidote that would cure all poison? I think it's a universal antidote <laughs> that covers everything from um, poisonous exploding pumpkins to um, Joker toxin to uh, poison dipped hummingbirds. Otherwise, it would be very specific, you know, similar to the bat shark repellent from the 60s. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you have a different view on this. Like, despite all these stupid traps, like this whole episode never devolves to the point of you feel like it's stupid. I honestly feel like it. And, and I'll, I'll, there's time I want to, when, when we do the Joker, well, I'll, I'll finish something at the end that I noticed. I just think it, it, it's so much fun, all these dumb little things they're doing. But yeah, the fact that Batman escapes by stabbing an ostrich with a poisonous hummingbird that's tremendous that that's how i someday want to escape death <laughs> is stabbing stabbing an ostrich with the poisonous hummingbird then hopping on my forklift and driving away so we go back where joker he's going to tell us that he's got the best story now he pulls out a portable television letting us know that his encounter with batman just recently happened now you're a pretty hip guy. I know before the whole uh, pandemic and lockdown happened, you you would go to movies and that kind of stuff. Did you notice that perhaps uh, there was a recent portrayal of the Joker that seemed to tie back into and perhaps even be inspired by something you watched in this episode, Matt? Um, well, I feel foolish, but I'm not sure what you're referring to. And I'm sure when, the minute you explain it, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, Joker basically takes over a, a talk show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and wreaks havoc. Literally part of the inspiration for the end of the new Joker movie. Duh, that was so obvious. Why didn't I? <laughs> why did that not occur? That's okay. that's okay. You'll get there. You've got to upgrade your bat nerd quotient a little bit. Yeah, so the name of the show, Late Night Gotham Live. Now, at this point, Harley Quinn introduces the Joker. And uh, you notice that both the audience and the guest are there held at gunpoint. Correct. Yep. And they reveal he's going to kill... Batman, because he's got Batman hooked up to an electric chair that is, you must know by now, is hooked up to the Joker's laugh-o-meter, where laughter powers the electric chair. Because if you're going to kill somebody on a talk show, how would you do it? You strap him to a, a laughter-fueled electric chair. You do that on a late-night talk show, that person's going to die. <laughs> uh, unless it's Jimmy Fallon, because no, then they're not just not going to laugh. So <laughs> I actually like Jimmy Fallon. That's the worst part. But he was the first one that popped into my mind. Well, pretty much anybody who's on late night television at this point. But uh, so Batman, he's in, a, in danger. So Joker pours laughing gas to the audience. And it's Harley Quinn read from the phone book. Talk about references younger viewers might not understand. How about a phone book? Yeah. <laughs> Your daughter was probably watching that like, what's that big book, daddy? What is that big book? So she's reading it, the laughter and that he's Batman's getting zapped at this point. Yeah, I was. I really thought for a second there that uh, you know the, one of the first names she was going to read was going to be like Harry Aaron, and I was just going to put my fist through my TV. <laughs> it's an inside reference for all you. <laughs> so then, saving the day is Catwoman. She shows up and whips the phone book out of Harley Quinn's hand. Now, is the phone book really generating the laughter? Is that what her first thought was? Well, you, you got to get her to stop reading. To stop the audience from laughing. Yeah, I think I think she made a right, the correct strategic decision there. She stops that. Joker starts to run away. 
she whips Joker's uh wraps her uh whip around Joker's legs, capturing him, but she gets hit in the back of the head with Harley Quinn's boxing glove gun. Right. And in a subtle reference, Joker says he had an ace up his sleeve. Yeah. Uh-huh. See what he did there? He's been cheating the whole time. Now they go back to the game. Joker's hand is four aces, and the fifth card is, you guessed it, the Joker card. Tremendous. Great stuff. So much great little stuff in this episode. So uh, Croc asks, you know, that's it? Is that the end of the story? What happened? We learn that he is going to turn Catwoman into cat food at the, I believe it was the Pussykins food, cat food factory? Yes. And Joker says the line, there's more than one way to get someone. Meaning he knows if he can't kill Batman, he can do just as much damage to him if he kills Catwoman. Which again, if I put on my bat nerd cowl right now, even in this hokey, giant coin, razor-taloned emus, and, and exploding pumpkins, even in this episode, they're still telling you that the Joker is the A-level villain and all the rest are still level B. Joker always has another level, another layer, another plan, another way to just be a little bit more evil to torture Batman than the rest of them. So yeah, even if he can't kill him, he can kill Catwoman and destroy Batman's life anyways. And then, in a big twist, Killer Croc speaks, but suddenly he sounds just like Batman. And he says, I don't think so. Batman has been disguised as Killer Croc the whole time. Matt, here's what I want to point out to you. With the exception of during the Poison Ivy part, when Batman says, poison gas, when she releases the pumpkins, Batman never speaks in any of the villain's segments. You are correct. Batman never speaks. Because again, you talk about, and now I'll put on my little nerd movie hat or storytelling hat. From a storytelling perspective, if you think about it, these villains are telling their story, how they almost killed Batman. It's all about them. So again, it almost makes sense that if I'm telling the story, I'm going to focus on me, 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 and maybe not have as much detail about what Matt said or Brian said or, or, or Michael said. So I think it was so cool how really the first time you hear Batman talk in this episode is for the reveal. So they reveal all the patrons were also police officers. Everybody was there just waiting for that moment to find out what had become of Catwoman. And they do a great little thing with, with this whole show. We talk about from the opening credits, the use of shadow in this show. They do a great thing in this scene where the poker lamp starts to swing and it swings one way. You see Croc's face lit up. It swings back and you see the Batman shadow in Batman's eyes, just kind of showing it, it, it's Batman under there. So we switch over to the Pussykins cat food factory where Harley Quinn has Catwoman on a conveyor belt that's going to send her into a getting chopped up and turned into cat food. Harley Quinn even says to Catwoman that you should be happy. You're going to feed, what did she say? You're going to feed hundreds of cats this way? Yeah. <laughs> so tremendous. So when Batman shows up, she starts to convey about because she figures Batman can't capture her and save Catwoman at the same time. I will say, Matt, as anybody listening can tell, I am probably way too excited about this episode overall. I probably enjoy it more than the average person will. I, I read, uh, even I have to admit, I didn't love the roll up finish here. It was just so weird. All of this stuff happens and you can't save her and catch me at the same time. 
rather than doing something cool like double batarangs or a rope or, or some other cool thing as a utility belt, he reaches behind him and turns off the power. She says you can't do both. And then literally, he's standing right next to the power button. Yeah. Yeah. And just turns it off. That might be my only disappointment in the whole episode. Only disappointment in the whole episode is that little part. I'm like, really? Did they run out of money? They couldn't animate anything else? They knew they only had 45 seconds left in the show? So then we switch to an actual, uh, I, I don't know if I'd say poignant moment, but they go to Batman and Catwoman on the rooftop. And Catwoman says how... Maybe we, we can go to a uh, place without Gotham, without freaks, without masks, you know, trying to make a little bit romantic moment. And Batman actually says, maybe. Yep. And then Catwoman looks away and he does his classic disappear when no one's looking. Oh, I love that. There he goes. Bye-bye. And then what does Catwoman say? And Catwoman says, huh, I almost got him. Yep. Oh, tremendous. And there you have it, folks. That was Batman the Animated Series. What a great episode. Almost got him. Jamie, uh, now that we've watched it on a scale of, uh, we always do the spectrometer of uh, zero spectros being absolute dog shit, four being can't get any better. How would you rank Batman the Animated Series episode? Almost got him. A, a seven. A <laughs> seven? Yes. Out of scale of one to four, it's a seven. Well, I enjoyed the episode as well. I'm going to give it four spectros. The the uh, I, I will give I will give it four spectros. Amazing legal uh, authorized them. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, but yeah, I um I can't say enough good thing. Very enjoyable episode. I liked how it was a nice mix of dark Batman, but also uh, they didn't lose the uh, fun no. that Batman has had in the past. It could be again. And and make no mistake, if you're somebody who likes you know realism and this and that and and you're going to break it all down, th- then don't watch the episode. In fact, don't watch the whole series. Because, yeah, if you're going to sit there and go, oh, well, that's all stupid, you know, yeah, how's he going to, okay, stop. And, and that's one of the problems. We can talk about this on a grander scale someday, is how there are certain fan segments of certain entertainment properties that are slowly but surely ruining the entertainment they claim to love. And sometimes comics is one of them. Because at the end of the day, all I ask is, if you watch this episode, I said it earlier, remember, You're watching a grown man who dresses as a flying rodent fight a clown, a penguin, a cat, and a life-size crocodile man. Slow your roll and just just enjoy it for what it is and have some fun with it. Now, um, this is somewhat more of the scope of Batman overall. Do you feel the Batman fans have contributed to his lack of fun in the last uh, couple of decades? I don't know. I wonder, and I, I truly wonder this, is the problem, There is is one of the reasons why it's tough to get a really good Batman story anymore or a really good Superman story anymore, I'll just start with those two, is because they've literally been around for about a century now, right? Give or take a couple of years. It's tough to tell new stories a century later with characters who fundamentally can't change. And I personally, I think that in some ways, the dark, brooding, angry at the world Batman, it's just the easiest path to take now. And I think it just feeds into how everybody wants. You know, I I said a few minutes ago, if you're somebody who likes realism and is going to take this too seriously, don't watch this episode. You're not going to like it. Yeah, I, I do think those people are controlling the narrative a little bit too much. You know, I don't want to go back to bat shark repellent coming out of a, a utility belt. I think that's too much in the other direction. But, you know, 
is there a middle ground? And I think this this whole animated series does a great job of finding that that middle ground. And hopefully you'll have me back on and we can do like one of the um, Justice League Unlimited episodes where they really take what I think the Justice League movie has been trying to do, which is take this grumpyish Batman and put him in with the Supermans and the Wonder Women and the other heroes and show, yeah, he can still relate with them and still be a part of these teams and not be such, you know, an unprecedented jerk like he's often portrayed. That was a really long answer to an easy question. Literally, you asked me yes or no, and I went on for three minutes. I apologize. <laughs> it's worry. been a while since I've been doing podcasts. It's like I have all this built up in my head, pal. <laughs> it's all right. Maybe I gave you too much time to think about it, so you had too much stuff in your head. No, no, that's the problem. This stuff's always in my head. I just have nobody to talk. I have a wife and a daughter. You know, my daughter's about to turn 18. Been with my wife over 20 years. They literally don't want to listen to me about this crap anymore. So <laughs> podcasts like yours are literally the only place I can talk about it anymore. All right. Now, on the flip side, I always ask every guest this as well. In 2021, if a kid stumbled across what we just reviewed, would a child get into it and like it? I think so, yes. And I can only say that because, like I said, as I rewatched, my daughter was in the room and she is the most cynical millennial teen you'll ever meet in your life. And she got into the episode. All right. We're reaching them. We are. Thanks to us. We are expanding the cognitive universe for youngsters today. I'm looking to get at some point a, uh, a more female presence on the show. Maybe we can get your daughter to join you for an episode. I would love to get my daughter to speak to me for the better part of an hour. That would be great. <laughs> if we can achieve that, that would be super. <laughs> Before we wrap things up, Jamie, do you have any final thoughts on this episode? You, you put me to the test when you asked me to pick one. I'm really glad I picked this one. When I watch it again, I, I'm so thrilled. I remember how much I love this episode. I'm so happy it tied back into an old comic I used to love. Love this episode. Everybody should go watch it. I'm sure if you don't have the streaming service, I'm sure it's on YouTube. You can find it somewhere. Go watch this episode. It's a fun time. I really enjoyed it. It makes me, uh, hopefully, on some future episodes, we get to review more of Batman the Animated Series. I want to thank uh, Jamie for joining us this week. Hopefully, you'll come back and join us again. I would love to. All right, guys. Thank everyone for listening. And uh, if you can go to my Facebook page, give me a like, subscribe to my channel or my podcast, however you word it these days. Uh, give me a like. Give me a five-star review. Share it. I appreciate it. Uh, I really appreciate anyone giving it a listen and helping me uh, spread the word. Please join us again next week. Same bat time for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. Excelsior!